This Washington Post Live podcast is sponsored by Bank of America. What would you like the power to do? You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. Post Live Election Daily, hosted by national political reporter Robert Costa, is a daily snapshot of the state of the 2020 election. Each day, Costa and other Washington Post reporters will give you the headlines, the inside track on key congressional races, and a behind-the-scenes assessment on the presidential race in top battleground states. And we'll hear from key newsmakers and top political players. In this episode, you'll hear from former White House counsel Don McGahn, Maryland Governor Larry Hogan, and Biden campaign advisor Bob Bauer. Let's listen. Good afternoon. Welcome to Washington Post Live's daily election show. I'm Bob Costa, and we do not yet have a winner in the presidential race. Votes are still being counted. Now, this is not the 2000 election all over again. That was about recounting votes at that point. We are now waiting for votes that have not been counted in key states. Our guest today will try to help us figure out the next steps for both parties in that battle and the legal actions on the horizon. We'll have Don McGahn, President Trump's former White House counsel, Bob Bauer, now an advisor to the Biden campaign and a longtime Democratic election lawyer, plus Maryland Governor Larry Hogan about the future of the Republican Party. He's a centrist Republican. Where does the GOP go from here after some surprising gains in the House and a a pretty steady showing in the Senate? But let's start with what we know right now, what I'm focusing on, the headlines. One, the focus on mail-in voting. Democratic uh, operatives across the country are telling me They were waiting for the mail-in vote to come in. That's going to be potentially the political salvation for the Biden campaign, despite some steady returns for President Trump in the game day voting, as they call it, election day voting. The political war in Congress, uh, it's a tight, narrowly divided Congress right now with the House Republicans seeming in a strong position in the minority, but they will not be a rump minority uh, if all these votes pan out. Speaker Pelosi will have a lot to contend with next year in the Senate. It looks like Republicans could hold on to their majority after surprising in some races that seem to be challenging, but Democrats feel good about picking up a Senate seat in Colorado, and they feel like they can inch closer to 50, but it's still an outside shot for the Democrats in the Senate, at least at this point on Wednesday. And shattered norms. Uh, President Trump's speech last night uh, raising concerns about the validity of the election. He's testing American democracy in ways we have not seen uh, in American history. But let's first go to my guest, uh, our first guest, Don McGahn, the former White House counsel. He is now a partner and a leader at the Jones Day Law Firm. He is also a former chairman of the Federal Election Commission. Don, great to have you here at Washington Post Live. Thanks for having me, Bob. Good to see you. Don, Trump campaign manager Bill Stepien just announced that the campaign is formally calling for a recount in Wisconsin. What's your reaction to hearing about that? Well, this is not the first time there's been recounts. It won't be the last time I can't every hear election Don. cycle there's recounts. I can't hear Don. You can't hear me? Well. Don, are you there? Sorry, everybody, we're trying to deal with Skype. Kathy, I can hear you, but I can't hear Don again. Apologies to our audience. We're just trying to get this figured out. Uh, just Don, thanks for your patience. Sure. Oh, Don, I can hear you now. Don, what's your reaction okay. to the? Uh, good to see you, Don. What's your reaction it's good to? Good to see you. Thanks for having me. Uh, to the the Trump campaign's decision to formally ask for a recount in Wisconsin. 
Well, there's been recounts before. There'll be recounts again. Every election cycle, you have recounts. It's one of the prerogatives of a campaign. If they believe that a recount is in their interest, they can certainly ask for it. People forget in 2016, we had three full statewide recounts, and the media and others didn't really seem to pay that much attention to it. But those states were Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. So it's not surprising that if it's that close, and given how close it is, that the campaign's asking for a recount. It's a normal, it's a normal part of the process. Legal, legal experts, Don, have noted that the Trump campaign simply can't seek the Supreme Court's intervention in the election and ask the Supreme Court to have ballots stop being counted, as he said on early Wednesday that he intended to do. Uh, do you agree with that consensus in the legal community that you can't just ask the Supreme Court to stop counting ballots? You need standing, you need a you cause of action, you need a claim to take it to the Supreme Court. It has to be something the federal, a federal court can decide. Uh, I think right now it's too early to know whether or not that's the case. However, there are some cases pending. One out of Pennsylvania, for example, petition is already pending regarding the decision to allow absentee ballots to come in after Election Day, even without a clear postmark. So there's already one matter potentially teed up. So there are avenues already available, uh, potentially for Supreme Court review. But certainly, this is something that uh, I've said, you've heard me say this a million times, you hear this more often when Supreme Court justices are confirmed. They don't just go to the court and start issuing press releases about what cases they like and don't like. They need a live case of controversy and controversy to hear. And that's certainly what they need here. Uh, but there are at least one, if not more, vehicles already in the pipeline that could end up going before the Supreme Court. But what is the best avenue, Don, for Supreme Court review for Republicans? Well, it depends on the state law. It depends on the count. It depends on the facts. You, don't, you simply don't go to the Supreme Court to ask for an advisory opinion. You need a case. So if there is a situation where you're in a state where one county is deciding a certain kind of ballot counts and another county is deciding that kind of ballot doesn't count, so they're using different standards. That raises an equal protection question. That can go to the U.S. Supreme Court. That's, that's, that's one example of a federal case. Before you get to the federal courts, though, there tends to be state law, election contests and the like under state law that can be filed. Oftentimes, there's the first count. Some states were still counting for the first time. There may be a canvas to then, to then talk about the validity of that count. And then there's a, court, a recount, potentially, that comes after that. There can be litigation interspersed throughout uh, that process. Uh, and ultimately, a federal case would turn on some portion of federal constitutional law, most likely like the Equal Protection Clause or, or the right to vote. But Don, you're known, uh, based on my reporting, as someone who offered the president blunt counsel, Republicans blunt counsel over the years. How difficult is it going to be for any kind of new lawsuit to succeed? I mean, it's hard to challenge the rules now that ballots are cast and judges who hear these lawsuits could ask, why didn't you file this earlier? Certainly the case, but look, the, the, the Republicans have been filing lawsuits, the Democrats have been filing suits. At the risk of oversimplifying, the Democrat lawsuits have been to expand and relax the rules. The Republican lawsuits and defense of Democratic lawsuits have been to maintain the status quo for the most part. Uh, so these lawsuits uh, have already been going on. Bob, you know, you know this, I know this, every election cycle, there are elections that are close, whether it's your local mayoral election or a congressional seat, now it's on much larger scale. So the mechanics that are going to go into 
the presidential vote counting is going to be remarkably similar to what happens every election in America. Uh, sometimes they go to court, sometimes they don't. Uh, but really, you need some sort of legal violation to go to court. Now, Pennsylvania, uh, just to use another example, has uh, agreed, I think, at least most of the state has agreed to segregate ballots, those they know are, are lawful votes versus those that may be provisional or those may be on mail, things that may have come in after deadlines and the like. That's really where the rubber hits the road. Once the ballots are commingled, it becomes impossible to unscramble the egg, so to speak. So you may look for some litigation trying to freeze the status quo and prevent the commingling of ballots so at least we can have an honest count, so at least we can assess the votes that are, that are properly cast in that particular jurisdiction versus those that are not. So that's another avenue of potential litigation you may see. Are you hearing from your Republican friends in the legal community that that's going to be pursued? I haven't heard that. I think it depends on the facts. It depends on the situation. It very well could be, uh, could be, could be the case. As I, you know, that keep going back to Pennsylvania, but again, they've they've already have a pending um, request for the Supreme Court to get into the issue of of uh, the deadline for absentee ballots. There'll probably be similar issues in other states. Uh, but look, let's be honest. We went to bed last night, and the president was up, seemingly in all the states that mattered. Uh, we woke up this morning. He still seemed to be up in the states that matter. And as the day goes on, he seems to be losing ground. So that's not the kind of thing that really should give anybody confidence in the system. Uh, and I think that sort of um, uh, reality is just is going to cause questions on both sides, and it's going to continue to 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 foster nervousness uh, and folks questioning whether or not uh, the counts are proceeding apace in in a lawful way. Don, let's pause there. When you say there's now a lack of confidence, perhaps some nervousness about the count. Do Republicans, does the Trump campaign believe there are ineligible ballots in the queue to be counted that they now need to block? And if so, where and what's the issue? Well, in the way I kind of reject the premise of kind of how you're stating it respectfully, but I will say every election, there's going to be ballots that were not lawfully cast. Someone showed up in the wrong place. Sometimes they go to the wrong state. Sometimes they're in the wrong congressional district. We've come a long way to allowing people to vote even when they make innocent mistakes like that. But there's always gonna be a handful of ballots that for whatever reason aren't gonna count because they either didn't check the right, they didn't check the box properly, they weren't on the voting rolls, they weren't really registered, et cetera, et cetera. So it's kind of a straw man to talk about, well, the Republicans think there's some ballots, et cetera, et cetera. Both sides make the same arguments depending on the situation. Uh, and at the end of the day, there certainly will be some ballots where folks aren't going to know what to do with it. The question is, is that, is that number of ballots greater than the difference in the total vote? In other words, is it going to matter and is it going to affect the result? Oftentimes it doesn't. Uh, it, you know, occasionally, where could it matter, Don, when you look at the math? I've had elections that have turned on, you know, single digits. I've had double digit congressional recounts where it does really matter. Uh, and in this case, it very well could, given how close the margin is in several states. Don, what's your reaction to President Trump's comments last night at the White House? Quote, frankly, we did win this election. We'll be going to the U.S. Supreme Court. Let's stop the voting. Well, I don't think he said stop the voting. I think he talked about the count. Uh, but look, I mean, it's, he's, he's on the ballot. He's certainly passionate about winning. And when you look at the results last night, it certainly looked like he won. 
there's more to be counted apparently, and it, it seems to be taking some time in certain states. So, you know, he, he has to explore all options. And if one of that is litigation, uh, he should do that. So I think a candidates say a lot of things on election night, and I think he is probably um, thinking through the steps uh, very quickly and, and ending with the conclusion of the Supreme Court. But baked into that, I think, is a lot of steps along the way to get to that point. What is the importance of having Justice Barrett now on the high court as all these election cases come, come forward? Well, you certainly have a full complement of justices. Uh, it, may, it may matter, it may not matter, we'll see. Sometimes these cases can turn on esoteric areas of the law, sometimes they don't. Uh, the conventional wisdom, it's now a majority conservative court, but that doesn't necessarily mean much when it comes to election law. Uh, you know, it depends on the case and that sort of thing. I think she's gonna be a wonderful justice. I was fully supporter, supportive of her. As you know, I, I helped uh, uh, recommend her to the president for the Seventh Circuit, so I'm a big fan of hers. But I think at the end of the day, knowing her record, she's gonna call the balls and strikes as she sees it in accordance with established law, whether it's in the constitution, statutes, or Supreme Court precedent. Do you believe she will recuse herself? I don't think she'd have a reason to recuse, Bob. Why should, you, why should she recuse? Presidents appoint justices all the time. They really don't recuse if the executive branch is involved or if it's an election dispute. So at this point, I've heard no compelling argument that she would have to recuse from anything. Uh, but again, you know, it depends on the case. But I, 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 I think it's a far-fetched scenario to talk about recusal. Did you vote for President Trump on Tuesday? Did you, Bob? It's a private matter for, uh, so I, I wonder uh, more uh, broadly, uh, uh, Don. Uh, private for you, but not for me, I guess, right? Well, you can I keep did. it private. I'm also allowed to ask, but uh, I'll answer, I'll answer done, for me. Right? I, I did. I think did. between the two, you know, for what I, the issues I care about, I think it was a clear choice for me. So I, I voted, I voted for the president. We certainly had our ups and downs, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, for what I, what I think the president ought to be doing on certain issues, I went with, I went with Trump. And finally, Don, just back to election law. When you look at the map, in the different legal challenges out there. You focus on Pennsylvania in your remarks so far. Is there anywhere else you're paying attention to as an election lawyer, as a Republican? Well, I'm looking at Wisconsin and I'm looking at Michigan. Right now they're counting votes. Uh, and, and that's obviously gonna be states that are gonna be very interesting to watch. Uh, I've also been watching uh, Senate races uh, very closely. Republicans had a pretty good night last night on the Senate races. Uh, so I don't see too much trouble on the horizon there. The Republicans also had a good night in the House. They picked up several seats, apparently. Uh, I checked the Washington Post site, and that, that's, what, that's what you're reporting, so I, I assume that's accurate. Uh, and then when you look at the state level, Republicans had a good day for governorships and the like. So I'm looking at a lot of different elections beyond the presidential for trend lines and the like. Uh, but for the presidential right now, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania seem to be the three top of mind. Don McGann, really appreciate your time this afternoon. Thank you. Sure thing, Bob. Good to see you. Good to see Keep you. Safe. Thank you. Bob Bauer, a top advisor to the Biden campaign, now joins, joins Election Daily here at Washington Post Live. He's a former White House counsel under President Barack Obama, and he's currently an NYU law professor and co-author of the new book, After Trump, Reconstructing the Presidency in which he makes 50 recommendations to strengthen democratic institutions from the presidency to pardons to the Department of Justice and Congress. Bob, great to have you here today. Thank you very much for having me. Bob, I began the discussion with Don McGahn about 
the Trump campaign's decision to call for a recount in Wisconsin. How will you and the Biden campaign respond to that that uh, that declaration, that demand? I have to note at the outset, after having declared that he won a great victory in Wisconsin last night, the president is now asking for a recount. So their messaging is a bit scrambled. He lost in Wisconsin. He lost in Michigan. He lost in Pennsylvania. He lost in Arizona. I could mention another a couple of other places, like the congressional district in Nebraska, which he also uh, lost uh, to Joe Biden, having won it previously. And now all of a sudden we're talking recount. So I think it's pretty clear that from last night to today, the president uh, now understands that he's in a very different position, which is he's trying to claw back um, this defeat and try to turn it through legal action into a victory. Are you still optimistic about Biden winning Wisconsin? Yes, I'm highly optimistic. I mean, I think Biden is going to win Wisconsin. I think he has won Wisconsin. I think we're at 270 electoral votes and above, and he will be the president-elect. Now, last night was a Hail Mary pass. Uh, clearly, the president had been huddled with his advisors and analysts. 2.30 in the morning or so, he stepped out. Why is it? What took so long? Because he had to come out and announce that the voting had to be stopped because he recognized that if it continued, he would lose. And there's no other possible explanation for a press conference at 2.30 so long delayed while they poured over the numbers and came to the same conclusion that we did. So it's really quite extraordinary. He waited until he saw that he lost and then he announced he wanted the county to stop. And you said recently on a call with reporters earlier today that you believe Vice President Biden is the president-elect. That's quite a statement as uh, these legal challenges loom. What, and what gives you that confidence to state that so clearly and without pause? Because we know what the votes are. We know what the votes are. I mean, let's be very clear. Do you recall Donald Trump in 2016 talking about his great victories in the Midwest? Vice President Biden has exceeded the margins by which Mr. Trump allegedly won those quote unquote great victories. I think on other occasions he called them landslides. So, you know, out of his own mouth, let's be clear, he recognizes that the vote gap is going to be impossible for him to overcome. Uh, at least that's what he claimed the last time around, and he went into the presidency on considerably weaker showings. So I think it's quite clear that Vice President Biden has won the 270 electoral votes, and I think more. Need if that's the case, Bob, is Vice that. President Biden now acting as the president-elect behind the scenes? Is he, is he, does he believe he is the president-elect? Well, I'm not going to speak for the vice president. You know, he'll speak at an appropriate time to the American people. So I don't want to get in the way of that communication uh, when he determines the time to make it and when he judges what it is that he wants to say. That's for him to say. I only know uh, that he won the election. Bob, we've heard a lot about Republicans going on the offense. Is the Biden campaign now mostly playing defense in terms of legal challenges, or are you and the legal team at the Biden campaign planning to go on your own offensive legally in the coming days in certain states? Let's be clear what we mean by going on the offense. We went on the offense with the voters. We won back states, he won in 2016, and we were successful. And as we had told the press repeatedly, there were going to be longer counts this time around. The turnout is historic. And for all the hard work that election administrators did, uh, they were really required to get into the late night but everybody understands that a validly cast ballot 
uh, has to be recorded, however long it takes for the authorities to uh, count it. So we were successful. We went on offense in this election and we took away from him the states that he won in 2016 and that Vice President Biden, by winning this time, becomes president-elect. So that's, that's the offense. The defense uh, actually is now a defense that the Trump campaign is mounting against the electoral process. Endless attacks. As I said earlier in the press briefing, if you look at states like Michigan or Nevada or Pennsylvania, this has been going on for months. You know, attempts to disenfranchise voters who were standing in line and attempts to take their ballot away from them when the time finally came for them to vote. Attempts to make completely unfounded claims rejected by courts about the absence of the proper controls for absentee voting, attacks on drop boxes. I mean, I could walk down the list. It's really extraordinary. There's never been one party that has mounted a more sustained attack on the Democratic process and the Republican Party under Donald Trump. And it culminated last night with his coming out and announcing he wanted the vote counting stopped because he knew where it was headed. The cynical undermining of the democracy is so brazen, so transparent, and the legal strategy on which it's predicated is so cynical, uh, it is certainly going to fail. It is out of line completely uh, with the Constitution and the legal process that has been structured to afford Americans their constitutional voting rights. Well, Bob, if that's the case, and it's that bleak in your view, will you plan to file lawsuits on behalf of the Biden campaign this week to target some of those concerns in certain areas? Well. When you say bleak, their prospects are bleak. Uh, they woke up this morning and realized that what they were fearing last night. Right, but I'm, I'm wondering, Bob, is there pass. any new litigation coming from the Biden side? We will respond appropriately to defend the vote. That's what we're there to do. We're not, you know, slab happy lawyers running around looking for opportunities to file litigation. This is about the voters. It's not about lawyers. It's not about partisans. It's not about Donald Trump's ego. It's about protecting the right to vote. We won the election, we'll defend that election. I don't view that as a, a sort of indication uh, that armies of lawyers now have to be deployed. We'll respond appropriately to whatever they do to try to put into question by hook or crook uh, the legitimacy of this election that Joe Biden has won. Are you preparing for a possible Supreme Court review of certain cases? Donald Trump said last night he expected to go immediately to the Supreme Court. I'm not quite sure exactly what he had in mind, but you know, perhaps he will get to the Supreme Court somehow on some case, like the cases that his team has been losing recently. They can appeal it to the next appellate level, and then they can eventually try to put it before the Supreme Court. Uh, we'll be prepared when that happens on whatever claim they're bringing, but the circumstances in which he's bringing these claims, the basis upon which these, they're bringing these claims, these alleged irregularities, this completely baseless claim of fraud, time and again disproven, including, by the way, recently in a district court in Pennsylvania, are simply not going to succeed. So they're just basically wasting time and giving Donald Trump an opportunity to express yet another set of grievances when, in fact, the only grief he should be experiencing is over the loss of this election. And that's not a grief I share, but it's probably a grief that he keenly feels. Should something end up in the Supreme Court, should Justice Barrett recuse herself? Well, we don't have to address that now. I disagree with Don McGahn. I think he, I heard, I think a little bit of what he said. I, I know Don and I respect him greatly as a lawyer, but he sort of, you know, flipped it to one side. In fact, there's a lot of law on this issue, uh, statutory and constitutional law, 
that I think will almost certainly be implicated uh, in any case uh, that is brought before the court and that Justice Barrett will presumably uh, closely consider in making a recusal choice. I won't go into it further than that because we're not presented right now with that situation, but it, it is hardly a phantom issue in the way that Don attempted to portray it. I know you said you're not going to be litigious at the Biden campaign, but putting that aside, that, that, that approach aside, is there any area of the country on the political map that alarms you as an election lawyer for Vice President Biden about voter suppression? Any specifics you can share about what you're seeing behind the scenes on voter suppression and what may may prod you in the coming weeks to pursue action, whether it's legal or not? We haven't had to look behind the scenes. I mean, this morning at our press briefing, I gave just a handful of examples. So if you're asking me, has there been voter suppression? Yes, but who had to look very hard? It wasn't exactly hidden in the cabinet or under the bed. Let's remember for a second that this administration had hardly come into office when Donald Trump said a couple of things said one thing and then also took an action consistent with the claim. He said that the millions of votes by which Hillary Clinton defeated him in the popular vote were all illegal. Every vote cast on her behalf that gave her the popular vote victory was illegal. That's one thing he said. And then he took an action. He set up a so-called uh, commission. It was called the Pence-Kobach Commission that was supposed to examine allegations of fraud. In fact, it was supposed to literally find what Donald Trump evidently would like to believe is fraud throughout the electoral system. I invite your viewers to go take a look and see what happened to the Pence-Kobach Commission. It collapsed in the most disgraceful and embarrassing manner of any commission ever established by a president uh, by executive order. It never completed its mission because there was a big problem that they faced. They were tasked with finding fraud in the electoral process. They were charged with finding it, and they couldn't. And soon it sort of dissolved amid dissension among the commissioners and clear evidence that it lacked any credibility whatsoever. So this has been a constant theme over four years. We had to address it over four years, but uh, this is it. This is the end of the road for these claims for Donald Trump. This is the end of the line for it. Bob, you've been a veteran election lawyer in the Democratic Party for a long time. And I was thinking about you last night as Vice President Biden took the stage in Delaware and thought back to 2000. You remember Vice President Gore's campaign as well as anyone. And how, when you think back to the Gore experience and now the Biden experience, how important was it in this kind of tense, charged atmosphere for Vice President Biden to speak out on election night and project confidence? It's important if the facts support it, which in this case they do. The American public have every uh, right to hear the truth, to hear the facts of the matter. It's extraordinarily important that they hear uh, from one of the nominees who I think, unlike his opponent, is credited with truthfulness and directness with the American public. He stepped out and he expressed confidence, which he should have based on what he knew. Uh, and he advised them that they you know, should give the process an opportunity to continue to operate. And by the time we woke up this morning, indeed, that's in fact what happened. I think that was very important because let's be very clear, uh, as we heard from uh, Donald Trump last night, uh, as we've heard from him from the beginning of his administration with the claims he made about the crowd at his inauguration or the illegal voters for Hillary Clinton or the fraud that his own commission collapsed into pieces trying to find, uh, Donald Trump doesn't deliver the truth. He doesn't deliver the facts. 
And so it was very important uh, for Vice President Biden, who I think even Republicans who may have voted for him trust and understand he's a man of integrity. It was very important for him to step up and speak to the American people about the circumstances in which the country found itself last night. And he expressed confidence, and that confidence was entirely justified. Bob, are you concerned as a top advisor to Vice President Biden about the transition should President Trump refuse to accept the result, especially if he's defeated? Uh, How will this work in a transition if the sitting president does not give legitimacy to the result and may not want to work on a transition project with the president-elect? Transitions are governed by law. Once again, Donald Trump would be mistaken to believe that he decides whether there's going to be a transition or isn't going to be a transition. So at the end of the day, you know, he may rail and he may rage, uh, but there will be a transition to the next government. It would be a shame and to his lasting discredit if he didn't cooperate. That's a choice he's just going to have to make. Uh, But at the end of the day, our constitutional arrangements, including the norms that are so important to it, have us. been sustained and honored uh, for our history, and they will continue to be sustained and honored. And we will have a peaceful transition of power, whether Donald Trump cooperates, uh, you know, or he goes off to sulk about uh, the, the loss of this election. I mean, at the end of the day, it's sort of up to him, but the law controls and the Constitution controls who the next president of the United States will be and the transition to power that is required for the next administration to take office. Is there any channel right now between the Biden campaign and the Trump campaign or the Trump White House about a transition and about how to handle this this moment? I can't speak to that. I mean, I literally can't speak to that. I, I have my hands full dealing with what I'm dealing with. And, um, you know, it's been a long night and it's been a fast paced day. So that's a question best directed to somebody else. Bob Bauer, really appreciate your time here on Wednesday afternoon. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Our next guest is the governor of Maryland, Larry Hogan, and he's a Republican governor in a blue state. He's been critical of President Trump's response to the coronavirus pandemic, uh, and he has been a frequent guest here at Washington Post Live. Welcome back, Governor Hogan. Well, thanks, Bob. It's good to be with you. Uh, When you look at the Republican Party, your party, on Wednesday afternoon, uh, what do you see? I'll tell you, you know, we're obviously all still kind of waiting to see the result of the presidential election. There's no question it was a it was a pretty darn good night for Republican candidates up and down the ballot. Um, it uh, looks as if they're going to maintain control of the Senate. You know, I'm on the uh, Republican Governors Association Executive Committee. We swept, uh, won every race that we thought was uh, a competitive race. We're gaining seats in the House of Representatives. We're gaining seats in state legislative bodies. So. While we're all still kind of waiting the final outcome, uh, I think uh, Republicans overperformed expectations uh, and Democrats underperformed across the country. But you've tried to support in recent weeks many suburban Republican candidates who are more in your lane in the GOP. How did they fare last night? You're the candidates you supported. Are, are you pleased or, or displeased with the result? It it, it looks like a great night for all of them, and I I think it's an important point to make. Um, You know, what most of the candidates that I went out and supported are kind of common sense uh, conservatives. They're they're, uh, people who are willing to work across the aisle and get things done, and 
Uh, it looks like Susan Collins is going to be back in the Senate. Uh, you know, uh, Phil Scott obviously did really well and is uh, got elect reelected overwhelmingly in Vermont. A number of the congressional suburban candidates that I uh, went out to try to help, uh, most of them all uh, were successful. Even uh, I think in one case where we didn't win, uh, they all far outperformed the president in their districts and or in their states. And I think, Bob, what it, what it may be, you know, there's no real clear mandate here. Uh, but the one thing that was interesting was that I think, uh, you know, people were sort of rejecting the extremes of either party uh, and they were voting for balance and common sense. Uh, they were also voting uh, both Democrats and Republicans against the Washington establishment. Um, and I, I think that's that's what we're, we're we're seeing. It's hard to decipher everything that happened, but uh, uh, that's my take on it anyway. But do you believe, based on the results last night, President Trump will remain a central figure in the Republican Party for years to come? I think it's, uh, you know, we've got to count the votes. That's critically important. I think some people are maybe rushing to judgment. This is the way our process works. It's the way it's supposed to work. Um, we've got to count every single vote. We shouldn't rush it. We should make sure we get it right. Uh, but once a winner, you know, we count all the votes and a winner is declared, um, you know, we've all got to come together uh, as a country, especially at this critically important time. Uh, and uh, I would imagine, you know, regardless of uh, the outcome, uh, the president, I'm sure, is going to continue to, uh, you know, be a, a central figure in the party. But I also think that uh, the party, by looking at the results in, as I mentioned, every other race up and down the ballot, uh, they voted, uh, you know, for everybody outperformed the president. So something about his message, he did a good job of appealing to the base, but he um, turned off an awful lot of voters, and uh, which is why he, uh, he got beat by most other Republicans. Talking to my Republican sources last night about this upcoming interview with you, they all wanted to know what you thought of President Trump's speech uh, early Wednesday morning, where he declared victory, uh, where he claimed the election was being stolen from him. Uh, one common refrain, a common question throughout the Trump era is who will speak up as President Trump assaults democratic norms? What's your response to his Wednesday morning speech? Well, I thought it was uh, outrageous and uncalled for uh, and a terrible mistake. Um, you know, I've often said, you know, while we may have disagreements here and there, I've said sometimes the president can be his own worst enemy. I think that was another example of it uh, early this morning uh, with the lashing out uh, where, you know, regardless of where you stand on this race and what party you are and who you voted for, uh, most Americans really want a, f a free and fair election process and they want us to count the votes. I think they're doing that in every state. Uh, they're being very cautious to make sure we count all the absentee ballots and the provisional ballots. There's Republicans and Democrats overseeing the process. And to, uh, to stir up all this uh, anger and frustration, I mean, I think uh, is a really bad mistake for the president to make. And quite frankly, I think that's what voters rejected in this race was the divisiveness and the kind of uh, anger on both sides. Why are many other Republicans quiet? Well, for the same reason, they've been afraid to criticize the president uh, for, for nearly four years now. And I, I think, uh, you know, he, he can uh, lash out and, and cause some uh, real retribution uh, against uh, fellow Republicans. You know, I outperformed uh, the president in my state by nearly 45 points. Uh, he lost the state by right around 30 points last night. So uh, I'm maybe not as afraid of speaking up as some, as some others might be.
if Vice President Biden wins the White House, should a stimulus package be his first priority? And what are you willing to give in a bipartisan way in that discussion? Well, I think it's critically important uh, that it's absolutely what they need to do right away um, is uh, I've been saying this, uh, you know, it was chairing the uh, Governor's Association. We've been pushing for this fourth stimulus package. It's critically important to our small businesses, to our struggling families and to our state and local governments. You know, if we're going to have an economic recovery, Congress is going to have to put aside the politics. Uh, the, the election's over with. Let's come together and get this done for the American people. I was pleased to see uh, Leader McConnell came out and said that today. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm calling on my uh, Democratic colleagues in the House, everybody on both sides, to just let's find a compromise and get it done. There are great proposals in Congress. Uh, the Problem Solvers Caucus has been uh, pushing with Democrats and Republicans in agreement. And we got to get the leadership back to the table. Uh, we have to get this done as soon as possible. You recorded an ad for the Problem Solvers, the centrist group uh, that was aired in the last 24 hours. Do you worry about the fragility of American democracy at this time? I am a little worried about it, and it's why uh, Joe Manchin and I um, did this ad for No Labels, uh, who uh, is running the ad across the country, just calling for calm and reminding people that this is a, a, a democratic process that has worked for 200 years. Um, we've got a fairly count, you know, everybody gets the vote, we count the votes, and then we uh, make sure we uh, counted every one of them and we arrived at a winner and, and then we all try to support whoever the president is. And, and that's what I'm hoping that most people in America will do. Um, I'll again go back to, while there's a lot of anger and divisiveness, um, I still believe, and it's been my core message, that uh, an overwhelming majority of the people in, in America really want us to just come together and fix the problems and, um, and, and, and not have uh, such ang anger and division. But the question is, Governor, how do you how do you fix the problems? What's the solution being offered? For example, on the pandemic, when when you talk about the surprising Republican returns last night, I wonder, as a reporter, did we not see it all emerging because we didn't detect all the anger out there about different restrictions and guidelines uh, on the pandemic? And you've been on the forefront of the pandemic in Maryland. Do you believe some of these? shutdowns of different states for a period, the, the rules about face coverings and social distancing, did that end up benefiting Republicans in, in a roundabout way in getting some restless people to support the president? Yeah, I don't really think so, Bob. I mean, it's certainly possible we'll have to look, uh, analyze all the returns once they come in. But I think the people that were uh, frustrated about uh, about shutdowns and wearing masks were already pretty motivated to vote for the president. Uh, and against uh, the Democrats. But what I, I think we saw was also a rejection of the far left uh, policies of, uh, of the Democratic Party, because uh, while it looks as if Joe Biden may have uh, been narrowly, narrowly elected, they did reject the kind of liberal policies in Washington by electing a bunch of common sense conservative Republicans to the House, the Senate, uh, to governor's mansions and the state legislature. So I think, you know, I think both parties made a mistake in, uh, in moving too far to the left or too far to the right and, and playing to the base. But I think, uh, you know, people uh, that, that made up this election and decided the election are the folks that were really, um, you know, trying to get some balance and, uh, and not accepting the kind of uh, the extremes of either party. 
if you got a phone call with the president-elect, let's say it's Vice President Biden in the coming weeks, and you had two minutes with him or one minute to offer one thought on what he should do on the pandemic, what would you say? Well, again, we've got to see if, uh, if, he, if he is the president-elect after we count the votes. But yeah, I would, uh, you know, I, I would look forward to working with, uh, with uh, President-elect Biden if he's, if he's the successful nominee. And I would tell him just what I said, um, that while there's going to be enormous pressure uh, from the left uh, to try to take him in that direction, you know, during the, the last debate, I remember him saying, you know, I, I'm not those people you're talking about. I'm not Bernie Sanders. I'm not Elizabeth Warren. I'm not AOC. I beat those people in a primary. I think if he uh, gets back to saying we're going to work together and uh, moderate some of those positions, work across the aisle to get some stimulus done, he's going to get a lot more support uh, from the American people on both sides than if he moves too far to the left. I think that would be a big, big mistake. But what about on the pandemic, Governor? What needs to be done on the pandemic at a federal level? On the pandemic, states? the same same kinds of things we've been working hard on. I mean, we've got to get the stimulus package done. We've got to continue to focus on the vaccine production and on uh, ramping up testing because this virus is by no means behind us. And we're going to have to come together to stamp this out because uh, I'm afraid we've still got many months ahead in, in this uh, incredible struggle, both on the Did health worry... side and on the economic recovery side. Should the next president, Biden or, or President Trump, do more to encourage uh, the use of vaccines among Americans who, if you look at some polls, there's concerns out there about vaccines? Absolutely, we should. And uh, look, this is also kind of an interesting divide. It's people on the far left and the far right who are the anti-vax group, almost in equal numbers. It's a little bit of a strange coalition. Uh, but again, most people uh, that are common sense and follow the science uh, realize that this is the only way we're going to get a handle on this vaccine. And, and I, I'm, I'm proud to say that uh, while we're not going to rush this thing, that we're making incredible progress on the vaccine and hopefully we can get it in distribution, uh, you know, here uh, in, by, by spring. So you look at the results, at least at the congressional level, I know the presidential race is to be determined, but when you look at the results at the congressional level, Governor, do you now find yourself here on Wednesday afternoon more inclined or less inclined to consider a presidential run in 2024? Well, you know, I'm not, uh, I don't think there's any time to think about 2024 until we find out who Governor, won Governor, you're thinking about it a little bit, a little bit, <laughs> yeah. a little bit. Well, no, I mean, look, we, we really are, we have to figure out what happened in 2020. We're in the middle, uh, I'm in a state of emergency, we're in the middle of a pandemic where we're trying to keep people alive and we're in the worst economic uh, you know, recession since the Great Recession. So I'm going to stay focused on the day job, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of speculation, but it's way too early for any of that. It's not way too early. We're now a day after the election. The next election's 2024. It's not 2020. Do you feel like there's a spot in the Republican Party's future in that 2024 field, whether you think it, whether you formally do it or not, is there space for a Larry Hogan candidacy for a Larry Hogan Republican? Well, again, I think it was a big night for folks like myself who are like-minded. We won most of the races in suburban jurisdictions that were competitive. Um, some of my colleagues that feel the same way I do, I think, had big nights. Um, but uh, time will tell. I mean, I think there's going to be, you know, 15 or 20 candidates uh, who want to take on the mantle, run in the same lane, and become the next Donald Trump. Uh, but there aren't too many people uh, in that wide open lane uh, that want to, you know, be common sense conservatives. Uh, that are actually have a record of getting things done in their states. And I think people are going to look to outside of Washington because I think they believe Washington is the problem. 
And so uh, I think looking to, uh, to a common sense governor is not such a far-fetched idea. It, it's certainly uh, much more uh, easy to understand than uh, me being overwhelmingly uh, elected twice in the bluest state in America. And when you look at the president's speech, you called it outrageous, his Wednesday morning speech. Do you believe there's now perhaps a necessity for someone who doesn't shatter norms to be a leader of the Republican Party? Well, I think that's a great, uh, that's a great question that I should go back and ponder after this interview, Bob, because, uh, uh, you know, it's, uh, you got me on that one. I think, I think we do. I think we need not just a leader, but I think we need a number of people to stand up. I, I'm disappointed more Republicans haven't spoken out. I think they will continue to uh, after this election's over with. People will feel more free coming out and say what they think. And we're going to have a great debate about the, the future of our party. I think the, uh, the other party is going to have the same debate about uh, where they head in the future. And I think it's all help, he helpful and healthy for our, you know, uh, American system. That's what the two-party system is all about. Um, I, I'm a big believer in a big tent. Um, you know, we, we, I did here in Maryland, and a number of the candidates I supported won suburban women. We appealed to minority voters. Um, we got crossover votes from independents and Democrats. And that's what it takes to be a successful party. Uh, that's not what uh, the president did, where he lost uh, pretty badly in some of those areas. Final question, Governor Hogan. We spoke a few weeks ago by phone for a post-print story. You said you were going to write in, you already did write in, in a mail-in vote, President Reagan, the late President Reagan, as your vote in 2020, not voting for President Trump, instead voting for the late President Ronald Reagan. You've been criticized since that story was published by Republicans and Democrats. Uh, for not supporting Biden or President Trump, Vice President Biden or President Trump. Looking back on that decision and the results last night, any regrets? Uh, none at all. I, you know, I'm, I'm very comfortable with my decision. Look, everybody gets to make up their own decision about uh, who to vote for. We have a write-in option on the ballot for a reason. Millions of people uh, took the very same position of, of voting for someone other than the two top candidates. We had a number of third-party candidates. And uh, look, there were uh, dozens and dozens of Republican elected officials uh, and former elected officials who either did not fill in the blanks, uh, didn't vote for either one of the candidates, or some who crossed over and voted for Joe Biden. But um, it was a, a symbolic vote. Obviously, the president lost my state by 30 points. But it was sending a message I wanted to send, which is about common sense conservatism, uh, working across the aisle, and the kind of uh, party that I'd like to see us be, a more Reagan-esque big tent party. Governor Hogan, thanks very much for your time this afternoon. Appreciate you stopping by. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Bob. We'll see you soon. We'll now go to two of my colleagues at the Washington Post in the reporting ranks, two of the best at the Washington Post, Sungmin Kim and Tolu Olaranipa, uh, both White House reporters. Tolu, Sungmin, thanks so much for being here. I hope you got a little sleep. Uh, we'll start with you, Sungmin. I'm fascinated by the Senate. Uh, the Senate Democrats were hoping to win the majority. They, they maybe have an outside shot, but it looks like Republicans could hold on. What's the atmosphere right now among Senate Democrats and your sources? I mean, Senate Democrats, Democratic sources are stunned right now. And I mean, frankly, Republicans are too. I mean, this is a much better night than they, than they had been expecting, even as recently as Monday. I mean, give you one example. Uh, just uh, just, momentar just moments ago, 
You had uh, Senate or Democrat Sarah Gideon in Maine concede to Maine Senator Susan Collins, who won a really tough re-election race up in Maine, vastly outperformed Trump in that Democratic-leaning state. Republican sources had told us that they expected Susan Collins to lose because of that unique ranked choice system that kicks in if no one gets a majority of the votes that allows voters to rank their second uh, second candidate by preference. Um, so they expected uh, Collins, frankly, to be defeated by that. They were also bracing for defeats in North Carolina with Tom Tillis and Democrat Cal Cunningham, who had been dogged by these um, extramarital affair revelations. Uh, they had struggled to see uh, Cunningham's numbers move even after those revelations. But even though that race has not been called and neither side has conceded, uh, Republicans say still mm-hmm. concede and that race is insurmountable at this point. I mean, there are a lot of good surprises for Republicans across the map uh, last night and Democratic sources, I mean, some some uh, some sources that I talked to privately this morning and last night, they say there's going to be some sort of a blowback to the Democratic leadership, but th- this is a scenario that they weren't expecting, so they don't even know what that blowback is just yet. So I'm going to a quick follow-up. Do you foresee any challenge to minority leader Chuck Schumer in the leadership races, or is he more likely to face a challenge down the road in 2022 in a primary in New York? That's really tough to say right now because that is one of the scenarios uh, that I have posed, that I post to my sources and they're uh, trying to figure out some conversations as we speak. I mean, if you recall, um, you know, in the Senate, there aren't a lot of leadership challenges you see as often as you do over in the House. The Senate is just an inherently different atmosphere. It was only, for example, when Democrats lost the Senate in 2014, that there was even a minor challenge to then uh, Senate Democratic leader Harry Reid. So if you fail to win, I don't know how much uh, Chuck Schumer risks losing his uh, top, his perch atop the Democratic caucus, but it is certainly something that is being talked about this morning. And obviously, look, Chuck mm-hmm. Schumer is up for re-election in 2022. He has been watching for a potential primary challenge. You know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has talked about. But Republicans are pointing out that they feel the election results last night, particularly on the congressional levels, sort of rejected that, you know, progressive vision for America, that voters wanted uh, a more uh, center-right governing governing, governing majority in the Senate and also a bigger um, minority at the House in terms of a Republican vote. And that will also, that would be a dynamic that we uh, may Mm -hmm. see, you know, in the New York races. Tolu, let's bring you in here, covering the Trump campaign, the Trump White House. Here on Wednesday afternoon, we've heard them pursuing a recount in Wisconsin. Uh, What else is on their plate, politically speaking, uh, today and tomorrow as they try to maybe eke out a victory in the Electoral College? Uh, Legal challenges, lawsuits, challenging various ballots, making sure that they try to eke out as many votes that they can get out of some of these late counting states, including Arizona, where uh, some uh, outlets have called that race for Joe Biden, but uh, the Trump campaign says that they feel confident that when the late arriving ballots are counted, that that race will swing back to the president. So they are trying to predict confidence that they're not going to let this race uh, slip away from them, that they're gonna use whatever legal maneuvers that they have to use to uh, sort of challenge some of these ballots in some different states where they're behind and call for more counting of ballots in states where uh, where Joe Biden is, is winning right now. Uh, the, F, the, the idea is to disqualify some of the ballots that would put Biden over the top in places like 
Michigan and North Carolina and Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, all of these states that seem to have relatively narrow uh, margins of victory, uh, they want to try to swing those races back to Trump by challenging them, by challenging the legality of some of these ballots. So they are buckling down and, and getting ready for what could be a very long legal fight over the outcome of this election and trying to project confidence that the race is not over, that even if Joe Biden comes out in the next 24 hours and declares victory, that this is not over and that they're going to continue to fight this as much as possible until they can uh, get the 270 votes themselves. But Tolu, we see what they're saying publicly. We see the tweets, the lawsuits. But what's your candid reporter's assessment about the actual mood behind the scenes in the Trump campaign? Uh, do they really see a path to victory or are they going through the motions to just fight the fight? Yeah, they, they went into this race um, knowing that they were the underdogs in, in the polling. Both we talked a lot about polling in the last 24 hours, but even their private polls did not show them in a very strong position, uh, knowing that the president was facing an uphill battle. So they've kind of gone through an emotional roller coaster over the last 12 hours uh, in which they seem like they were ahead. They seem like they were doing much better than their polls. They were hitting their marks, winning states like Florida and Ohio. Um, but then overnight, as we saw a number of these states where they were ahead in the upper Midwest, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, uh, we started to see ballots come in from some of the urban centers and the lead really shrunk. That really deflated a lot of them, a lot of their, their optimism about where things are going. And they ended up feeling like they're on defense instead of being in an offensive position like they were last night. So uh, they have a little bit of emotional whiplash at this point, um, and they are much less optimistic as they were last night. They're talking about recounts. They're talking about challenging ballots. They're talking about, you know, we're, we're behind at the moment, but we're going to expect a late surge and making excuses and talking about math uh, and very narrow math victories that they could eke out in the final uh, final hours of this race. So it's much a much less confident position that they were in last night, um, but they do want to project that they have some level of confidence that they would be able to win when everything is said and done, when all, the, all of the legal challenges are over. They're really stirring up for a fight, even though they know that it's an uphill battle in a way that it wasn't just 12 or 14 hours ago. Before we go, I would like to hear from both of you for people joining this live stream, they love the Washington Post. They want to know what's going on inside of our newsrooms. I know our newsrooms are our homes right now, but we're all doing our best there. Sungmin, what are you working on today? What's your follow to the big election night uh, right now? Well, we at the Washington Post, particularly on the congressional side of things, are looking at a couple things. First of all, what exactly happened in the House and Senate races? Why did Democrats vastly under? the expectations both in the House, particularly in the House, but also in the Senate. And what does this mean for the governing agenda? I mean, we had talked for, a, you know, for weeks ahead of this about the Biden agenda. And in a particularly all-democratic Washington, you had Speaker Pelosi talking about using a, a nerdy process we call budget reconciliation that basically allows just one party to pass legislation without a filibuster in the Senate. She was talking openly about that just two days ago. Obviously, that conversation seems to be out of the equation now, particularly if Republicans control the Senate. And we had all that talk about uh, will Democrats abolish the legislative filibuster? Will they expand the number of Supreme Court seats? Obviously, that conversation is out the window. We are looking right now, we are talking more in lines of what kind of a compromise could a potential uh, President Biden reach with 
a potential Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. What does this mean for the stimulus legislation and COVID relief in the next uh, several weeks? Mitch McConnell said this morning that he does want to get something this, uh, done this year. I spoke with Senator John Barrasso, member of leadership, just about an hour or so ago, and he said he does want to get uh, COVID relief done, but it does have to be moderate, uh, much more in line with the Republican view. Uh, so those kind of the impact of the election results last night and what this means for our readers and what this means for people who are also seeking relief from Washington is what we're following up on today. Tolu, wrap us up. What are you working on as your follow? Yeah, we're, we're working on the main uh, campaign story for the paper tomorrow, sort of uh, following up on what happened, following up on whether or not, as it appears at this moment, Joe Biden is on the pathway to becoming the 46th president of the United States. Uh, as much as Democrats are unhappy that they did not hit their marks last night, the, the idea that Joe Biden could become the next president, could unseat a president for only the second time uh, this century, could uh, really change the, 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 the nature of Washington. It could have major implications. It could have a, a major implication for Joe Biden's long career in Washington. Uh, so we are writing that story, even though uh, it's not as uh, as much of a, it may not appear to be as much of a big news story as it would have been uh, last night, but it could still be uh, the opportunity for the country to uh, start a new administration, elect a new president, and that's big news. And we're, we're working on all of the ramifications of that, reporting out what it m would mean and what it would mean to have divided government in Washington. So we're looking at that possibility while also keeping an open mind about whether or not Trump still has a narrow pathway to become uh, reelected. And we'll wait and see as the numbers come in and we'll write that story as uh, authoritatively as we can. I'll let you both get back to uh filing the story. I know it's, it's sometimes not easy to take a bit of a break from these tight deadlines at the Post to uh, come by Post Live. So I really appreciate you coming by for a conversation and opening up your, your work uh, to the, our audience here. It means a lot. And uh, wish you all the best with those stories. And we'll look for them in the paper tomorrow. Sungmin Kim and Tolu Olaranipa, thanks very much. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.